Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. I am persuaded that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the Lord, that He is the Savior of the world, and that He's my Savior. That's the conclusion that a bunch of people almost 2,000 years ago reached in the city of Thessalonica. The scriptures tell us that Paul was there, preached to them three weeks talking about these things, and it says some of them were persuaded. And the result of this was that Thessalonica, the Christians there, became a church that was just amazing. And actually its reputation spread around the world. People had heard of these Christians. They lived like real Christians. They were a church like a church was supposed to be. And what was amazing about this is that Paul had only been there like three months when he had to leave them. And when he left them, there was the threat of persecution, bodily harm, possibly even death. Being persuaded about who Jesus is and addressing that personally in our lives changes everything. It changes everything. And so the Apostle Paul was worried about them, and he sent Timothy back to find out what was going on with him. Timothy came back, brought him his report, and then Paul writes a letter to them. And that's what we call in our New Testament, 1 Thessalonians, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. And we've been looking at that for the past four weeks. Today is our last message in that uh, book. And so if we go to... Chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, I remember how you changed, how God changed your life, how profoundly changed you were. Deep down inside, so much so, he says, you just began to, to move away from things that weren't godly and things that didn't help you to live the Christian life, moving to things that, that were consistent with who God is and, and how to live as Christians because of the depth of the change in your life. And then he said, the reason that these things change is because of how you approach the Bible. He said, you guys, when you, when you started looking at the scriptures, you didn't look at it as though, wow, this is just the words of men. You looked at it, he says, the way it really is, God's word. What God says. Boy, that makes a big difference whether you think you're listening to just anybody or you're listening to God. He said, that's what really made the change. And then he addressed the struggle in their hearts to be holy. And we all have that struggle to be holy because that's not where we started off, right? And so we're struggling in our hearts to be holy. And he says, you know what? Don't really focus on the struggle in your hearts to be holy. He says, you need to learn to focus on loving, loving God, loving other people. He says, if you will genuinely focus on loving God and other people, what you'll find is that God will be changing your heart and making you more holy. What a special thing that is. And then last week we saw how Paul had uh, taught them many, many things comparing the way the world was that they were living in compared to what God said the way things were supposed to be. And one of those areas was in the area of morality. And so we saw last week that we ought to have sexual immorality ought not to be any part of our lives. We need to make conscious choices so that it isn't a part of our lives. Remember we said that when God puts something off limits to us. Why does he do that? Because it's not good for us. And so God 
wants his best for us. And that brings us to the fifth and final chapter. Now, when I was in the uh, sixth grade, I had a classmate named Bruce Rittermeyer. And, and Bruce, we'd grown up together. He'd been in some of my classes prior to that time. But Bruce was a really interesting guy. I think he was very, very intelligent, but he didn't let on. He was very, very intelligent. Uh, but I remember just in, in sixth grade class, one day sitting in there in class, a few seats away from me and watching him. Teacher's teaching is something, and I'm sitting there watching him. And he had his number two pencil, right? We had yellow number two pencils. And he had his number two pencil, and I'm watching him sitting at his desk, and he's doing this. He's doing this, and he's looking at it, and next thing you know, his, his eyes start to kind of just get kind of weird and in a fun kind of way, and he starts flying that thing around. I kid you not, right? He's flying, and he's, he's half out of his chair, and he's like this, and just, and the teacher, Bruce! 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 I don't know what happened to Bruce, but I got a feeling he's probably a rocket scientist somewhere. <laughs> but he wasn't paying attention. And he wasn't really serious about what was going on in the classroom. And, and this is the way we can be in our lives as Christians. God has done this amazing thing in our lives. And if we aren't careful, we can just be bumping along through life like Bruce. And so the Apostle Paul really challenges that point of view on the Christian life in chapter 5. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And if you um, don't have a Bible with you today, we encourage you to use one of those in the bottom of the chairs there. Or if you have a different translation you want to follow along with what we're using, we're going to be on page 1,358. That in the next page, page 1,358. The Apostle Paul here is going to remind us that we are on the way to somewhere. We are on the way to forever. Things that are going to matter forever. So follow along as I begin reading here in verse number one. It says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren. Let me stop. I should say this first. Last week we looked in chapter four where he dealt with the issue of morality and making sure that, that we were in the right place when it came to that. And then what we didn't look at is he talked about um, some practical ways to live. And then he talked about the fact that Christ was coming back. You know, they were worried. They, they knew that Christ was coming back. Paul had taught them that. And they were worried because, you know, hey, my husband, my wife, my father, my mother, my brother has died. And what's going to happen when Christ comes back? They won't be here, you know. And, and so Paul addressed it and says, no, no, they're all coming. In fact, they're coming right before us when Jesus returns. He comes back in the air and takes all of his people out of the world. All right, and so just a quick overview of what the Bible teaches about this. It says that there's going to come a point in time, and it could be any day, it could happen before we leave here today, which if you know Christ as Savior would be an awesome thing, right? But he says that, that Christ is going to come, return into the, the, the heavens here, the, the, uh, the sky, and call every one of us who know him up to him. Those who've already died, he will raise to go be with him, and those of us who are still alive, he will change to go and be with him. And that will be the point at which he will begin his final work on the earth with respect to um, judging sin. 
It's called the Great Tribulation Period, a seven-year period where there will be the rise of the Antichrist and all the prophecies in the book of Revelation. All these things which will culminate at the end with Jesus actually returning to earth, us returning with him, excuse me, him setting up a literal kingdom on earth. And that's going to be good news too. All right? So that's what Paul has taught them. And so that's where he's ended up here at the end of chapter 4. He says, yeah, Jesus is coming. When he does, don't worry. Your loved ones that know him are going to be with him. And then he says this in chapter 5. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And the day of the Lord is a reference to this final period of God's working in this way on the earth. It begins with what we call the rapture again, with Jesus taking us out of the world, and then this seven-year time to the Lord's return. That's all referred to as the day of the Lord. Okay? He says, you know this. You know it comes as a thief in the night. In other words... Do thieves announce, if, let me ask you this, how many of you have ever been broken into or, or someplace had something stolen from you? Did you receive an announcement? <laughs> I want you to know that this Friday night, we're coming. No. A thief comes when you don't expect them. And that's the point that the Apostle Paul is making here. He says, you know that, when, that we don't know when this is happening. But there are some things that we do know. Okay, so let's continue. Verse three. For when they say, and he's talking about the people who don't know the Lord, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. And so what he's saying here is that those people who don't know the Lord, when this all happens... When that day comes, when, when the, Jesus Christ takes all of his people out of the world, those who've already died and those who are still alive, <clears throat> when, when he takes them out of the world, that's going to begin this whole process, and they don't have a clue. Everything's fine. And all of a sudden, boom, it starts. And he's just like, now, I got to tell you, I've never been pregnant. <laughs> so I've never experienced it, but I've watched it <clears throat> up close a little bit. Once those actual final labor pains come, is there any stopping it? No, it's coming. And so once this begins, it's going to happen. And what he says is they will not escape. He says, but you know something so that you don't have to get caught because you've received Christ as Savior. So here's what I want you to understand. is that You do know something. This might be new to you today, but now you've heard it that there is coming a day when this all comes to an end. Jesus is going to return. Things are not going to be business as usual anymore. All right? Judgment is going to come, all of these things. So we don't know when, but when it happens, we won't be surprised. Because we know, don't we? We, we We know the Lord in a personal relationship. We know these things are going to happen. But those who don't know, what do you say? They... They shall not escape. So what's the difference between you and them? The difference between you and them is you know. They don't. Is there any remedy to that? What's the remedy? Those of us who know need to tell those who don't. Now they may not be interested. That's their problem. But they don't know. And what a shame that this would happen to them 
and they didn't know because we didn't tell them. All right, so he says here, you as God's people, you know something, you know something. So then let's read on here, verse five. He says, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. So he's starting to describe what it's like to be a Christian. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So he's contrasting, right? Saved people with unsaved people. Those who know the Lord and God has done this work in his life versus those who don't know the Lord and haven't experienced God's working in the light. Light, darkness. So verse five again, you are all sons of light, sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. So what is Paul talking about here? He's using this picture that those who are still, they don't know the Lord, so they they aren't sons of light, they aren't sons of the day, they are still captured in darkness, right? There's darkness in their, their souls. They don't know the Lord. And he says, they are asleep with respect to all of this stuff. You know, I've noticed that when I go to sleep, I don't know what happens around me. Do you? I mean, if you sleep real light, you might wake up. But while you're sleeping, you don't know what's going on around you. And so people who don't know the Lord Jesus don't really understand what's going on in the world around them. He says, we're not like that. We can see we have the light of God in our lives. We ought to be able to see and understand what's going on. And so he's challenging us. Don't live like people who don't know. Don't be asleep at the wheel, we might say. And so he he says this, wake up. Wake up about your life, verse six. Therefore, let us not sleep, wake up. He says, but let us watch and be sober. Now, that word sober, we usually think in the context of not being drunk, and Paul kind of uses that uh, as an illustration here. But really, the idea of being sober here is really being serious-minded, serious-minded. That, hey, what we're doing matters. And so he says, watch, which is the idea of pay attention. Pay attention. Don't be wandering through life. Pay attention to what you need to be paying attention to and get serious about it. So you know, you are people who know where you're headed and what's going to happen. He says, so don't live like people who don't know because people who know ought to live differently. Okay, let's continue. Verse eight, but let us who are of the day be sober, again, be serious-minded, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So he says, if we're going to be serious about this, we need to live lives of faith, where we believe God. We believe, we do like the Thessalonians did, right? This is not man's words, these are God's words, and I am going to believe what God says, and I'm gonna act on that, I'm going to trust God, and we need to live that way. We shouldn't be living saying, well, I don't know, what's God's option among many? No, that's not faith. And then he says, and certainly love, and we already spent a whole message on this, learning to love and to love each other more and more, to love God more and more, because it's going to change everything in us when we learn to love. You know, if you, if you learn to love, you won't be afraid. Perfect love, you remember what it says? Cast out fear. 
So, I mean, it'll change us in how we live. We, we don't need to be afraid. And then as a helmet, the hope of salvation, this helmet, the idea of covering our head. So how do we think about things? And I think the idea is this, our salvation, the fact that we have been saved, what it means in our lives, what it's going to mean in our lives, all of that ought to shape our thinking. We shouldn't be just bumping along through life like people who don't know the Lord. We need to have a different perspective on life. We need to pay attention to these things. Be serious about them. Verse 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you glad about that? This seven years of wrath, you're not going to experience it if you know the Lord Jesus. Okay, God's wrath being poured on the earth. You are not going to experience his wrath for all eternity in hell because you haven't received Jesus, assuming you have received Jesus. Anyone who comes to Christ and by faith just says, oh God, I've sinned against you. I know it. I believe Jesus died for my sins, rose again from the dead. And by faith, we say, okay, I received Jesus as Savior. I accept his payment for the penalty for my sins. The Bible says when we do that, every sin gets forgiven. Every sin that will ever, you will ever commit in your whole life gets forgiven. You receive eternal life. When this life is over, you go to live with the Lord. And then he moves into you, the Bible tells us. He moves inside and changes you, as we saw in 1 Thessalonians 1, in a profound way and works its way out into your lives. So God did not appoint us for wrath. We're not going to experience that. Because we have received Jesus. Is this because you're such a great person that you'd miss wrath? Is it? Are you going to not go to hell because you're such a great person? No, you're not going to hell because Jesus was such a great person. Perfect. All right, so we deserve it, but God says, no, that's not what I have for you because we received Christ. And then he describes, verse 10, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Whether we wake or sleep could mean whether we're living or whether we've already died. But it could also mean, seems like in this context, he's saying you ought to live like someone who's awake. You ought not live like someone who's asleep. But even if you live like someone who's asleep and you've received Christ, you're going to be with him. Now how gracious is that? How merciful is that? All right. So the, this is, you know, what God has done for us and the kinds of things we need to be paying attention to and things we need to be serious about. And then Paul begins this list. Um, I have, um, I've known a few people in life like this and they're all female. And I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not but that when they start talking to you and when they start to feel like they don't have much time left to finish this conversation, they pick up the pace, they talk more, and they say more, and they say things faster, and then more, 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 more. I kind of feel like that's what Paul's doing here. He's coming to the end, he says, okay, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, this, okay? But he says, these are the kinds of things we need to pay attention to in life and be serious about. So let's read it, verse 11. Therefore, comfort each other and edify, build each other up, just as you also are doing. Okay, so when we start paying attention, get serious, all of a sudden we say, hey, we need to help each other. We're in this together, we need to help each other. Verses 12 and 13, he says, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. 
He's talking about your pastors. Okay? Recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. And so the idea is, is the relationship between you and your, your uh, church leaders needs to be positive, needs to be valued, and we need to have peace in that area, not a struggle, a pushing, a shoving match, okay? We need to pay attention here. Be serious about that. Okay, verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. So you got someone in, the, in your around you in, in the church, and they're kind of unruly, they, you know, pushy, their way. He says, you need to warn them. Say, hey, you know, this really isn't the right way. Comfort the faint-hearted, those who are having a hard time, those who are fearful about where life is going and what's it going to mean. On purpose, pay attention, and be serious about comforting them. You ever need, anybody here besides me ever really needed comfort when you showed up at church? And there have been times when I've shown up at church and nobody reached out. But that's far outnumbered by the times I've shown up at church and I needed comfort and God sent somebody. And we need to do that for each other, see? We know what's gonna happen. We know where this is going. Other people don't know where it's going. And, and we need to help each other to become the kind of Christians that we need to be. And he says, uphold the weak. Sometimes we just gotta just help someone keep going and be patient with all. Be patient with each other. Verse 15, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. So if someone does you wrong, don't do them wrong back. Pay attention to this. Be serious about this in your life. When somebody does you wrong, don't wrong them back. And he says, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Boy, that's acting in love, isn't it? And that what we talked about love was? Always acting in someone else's best interests. Also, it's in your best interest to act in someone else's best interest. So that's what he's talking about here. We need to pay attention to these things. And then he says, we need to pay attention to Attitude's kind of a generic word, but I'll go with it. He says, verse 16, rejoice when things go well. Is that what it says in your Bible? Rejoice when your wife is nice to you. Rejoice when your husband finally does the 12 things you ask him to do. No, rejoice always. There are lots of things in life that make us happy, and there's lots of things in life that make us unhappy, but through all of it, we should be rejoicing. We know the Lord Jesus Christ. He is changing our lives. He is going to take us to be with him forever. He has given us things to do that matter now, and we're a part of it all. We always have reason to rejoice. You know, nothing can come into your life except the Lord allows it. As a Christian, he has purposes for you in your life and he's, he wants to shape you to become like Jesus and, and he's gonna do this work so nothing can come into your life if it won't work that way. He won't let it. That's reason to rejoice. That's good news. So whatever happens, rejoice always. And then he says the idea of becoming consciously dependent on God. Verse 17 and 18, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And this speaks to the idea of dependence because when we pray, we're coming to God saying, God, I, I don't have what it takes to accomplish this. 
God, I need you to work in my life. That's the way we got saved, wasn't it? I got things I can't fix here. God, I need you to do something in my life. And so the whole Christian life is to be lived that way. And so we pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean 24-7, every second, every minute of every day. What it means is don't stop praying. Keep going to God. Keep praying. And certainly that could be a prayerful attitude at all times. But so in everything, give thanks. That means that we what? We recognize that all these things we have to give thanks for have come from where? From God. See, we depend on him. We need him to work in our lives. And then he says this, verses 19 and 20. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. And quenching is the idea. It's a picture of a fire, and then you pour water on the fire. Or... Um, have you ever heard the old statement, you know, yeah, they just threw a, a, a wet washcloth on everything. Anybody ever do that to you? You were all excited about an idea and somebody goes, <laughs> he says, don't do that with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is working. Don't quench it. Be open to it. Be paying attention. Be serious about it. Uh, and do not despise prophecies. And, and some things have changed since the time of the New Testament to now, but just let me say this. When someone stands up and, or is talking to you and says, man, let me tell you what God did in my life. Here, here's what I'm experiencing. Here's what God is doing. Don't go, oh, yeah, right. Now, you would never do that, would you? Well, the problem is it's when somebody's telling you that who you don't necessarily have a real high opinion of and they're telling you how great it is and God's working in your life and you go, yeah, right. Just don't do that. We need to be open to God's working, encouraging others about God's work. If God's doing something good in your life, I should be happy. God's doing something good in my life, you should be happy. That's a good thing. And then verses 21 and 22, he tells us, don't get sidetracked. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Okay, so you can't do that if you aren't paying attention. If you aren't paying attention, all sorts of bad things will float into your life. And you may not notice them initially, but they will. And so he says, pay attention and test things. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Is this something that's going to help me be what God wants to be or not? And if it's, wow, this is a good thing, hang on to it. And if it's a bad thing, what's the word? We, we used it last week, abstain. Not going to have it in my life. And then we, this is just Paul's short list. We go through the rest of his letters. We go through the rest of the Bible. How many things are there to pay attention to and be serious about? Well, you know what? Then we aren't going to make it, are we? You can't do this on your own. Paul knew that too. And so he tells them, now here's what I'm praying for you. I just told you all this stuff. You, you know what's going to happen. Don't live like people who don't know. Live like people who do know. Pay attention. Be serious. Do all these things. And then verse 23, he says this. He prays. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Okay, there are things that need to change in your life. That's the sanctification process. Changing from what they should not be to what they should be. And he says, I'm praying that God will do this in your life completely. Every area of your life. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's praying this whole process. Remember we talked about that in our spirit he has made us new. Our soul is in the process of being made new and our body will be made new someday. But he's saying, I'm praying that your whole being will become what it's supposed to be. So he's praying for us. You can't do this on your own. 
I'm praying God's going to do these big things in your life. And then the best news in this whole passage, verse 24, he who calls you is faithful who also will do it. God is going to answer this prayer. Because, you know, if we didn't have verses 23 and 24, might you leave here today feeling overwhelmed? I would. But Paul prays for us and he says, God is faithful. He will answer this prayer. He's going to do it. Well, so what does all this mean in our lives then today? I think just a few things here. First one is this, that if we receive Christ as Savior, we are going to heaven no matter what. Right? If you have that made that one time, that once and for all in a lifetime kind of decision, Christ, Jesus, I receive you as Savior. I, I, I trust you. He says he forgives us, gives us eternal life, comes to live inside. So no matter what happens, my eternal destiny is settled. And so is yours if you receive Jesus. All right, so then that means we can do what? Just... Kick back, right? Where's the potato chips? No, because even though that is settled for us, how we live every day matters. How we live every day affects things in eternity. Now, how, how long is eternity? in comparison to our lifetime. Let's say you make it 80 years. In your lifetime compared to eternity, what is that like? Well, I think it's like, you know, when you have little kids, you have eyedroppers, right? You have eyedroppers for, you know, sometimes for medicine and stuff. So what I want you to do is, is to take your eyedropper and get water in it. And I want you to drive to the Atlantic Ocean and I want you to go out there to the beach next to the water, and I want you to drop, just squeeze it and drop one drop in. That one drop is like your life in that whole ocean, eternity. That's the difference between this lifetime length and eternity. Or be like taking one grain of salt or one crystal of sugar and putting it in your mouth and then comparing that to everything else you have ever eaten or ever will eat. You see what I'm trying to say? This life is short, but it affects forever. Because what happens now, we receive Christ or not, affects our forever. Whether or not we, we live for Christ now affects what we experience in heaven. So here's, you need to live today like it matters forever, because it does. Live today like it matters forever, because it really does. Do you understand that how we live today has an effect on who ends up in heaven? It does. What kind of witnesses we are, whether we are faithful to be witnesses, whether we're to those of us who know or are trying to tell those who don't know. Now, people go to heaven or hell because of their own choices and their own sins. But I have the opportunity and you have the opportunity to talk to them to share with them, to share your lives with them, to share the gospel with them, to where they could get saved and that could change, see? So how we live today impacts who makes it to heaven. And how we live today impacts what people experience in heaven, including us. 
Because those of us, every person who's received Christ will stand at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible tells us, where Jesus himself will evaluate our whole life, stand there with us and evaluate our whole life and show us, you know, what we did that was good and right and what we did that wasn't and, and help us to see and understand. And, and as a result, he, he then will reward us for the things that we did right. But so how I live today affects that, doesn't it? How, how I interact with you today could affect what you experience at the judgment seat of Christ as I encourage you or love you or warn you or help you. You see, it doesn't matter how we live today, doesn't it? Live today like it matters forever because it does. Well, so what are we supposed to do then? Well, Paul said it. Pay attention. Pay attention and get serious about living like a Christian. Pay attention and get serious about living life as though you are a real Christian. Who in here has, has been in the military? All right. So those of you guys, I'm sure could attest. When you went into boot camp, and as you went through boot camp, and then as you went through the training that you got immediately after boot camp, did they motivate you to pay attention? <laughs> yeah, they did. Did they impress upon you how serious it was that you take this serious? Because the reality is, is, is whether or not the mission gets accomplished someday depends on whether you're taking serious what's going on right now and paying attention. And, and your life is on the line, depending on how you know, much you pay attention. And the lives of those who are around you is on the line. Paying attention and being serious matters in the Christian life too. And we need to pay attention to things like God has given us the gospel. What do we do with it? God has given us his word. How do we treat it? What role do we let it have in our lives? God has given us each other. And so how important is it that we learn to interact with each other the way God says? God has given us relationships with people who aren't Christians. We need to pay attention there and be serious about it. What do we do with that relationship? Do we on purpose keep engaging these people? You know, we pray and ask God for direction and then pursue those people in relationship. God has given us all of our money and possessions to use. I mean, it's, it's how much of it are you taking with you? How much of your money and possessions are you taking with you? It's sort of a trick question. You're taking with you any of it that you used for God here on earth. And not literally the money, but the point is what you do with your money and possessions here is going to affect what you experience in eternity. Our, our time, God is entrusted. We need to pay attention and be serious about it. Our opportunities, opportun on and on we could go in the whole Bible. Now, I know some of you, and I know some of you are thinking here, and I, I can't see it, but you've been writing, okay, yes, I gotta do this, 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 this. And you're thinking every moment, oh no, I think for the last 12 and a half seconds I wasted time. We're not talking about that. We are talking about paying attention and being serious. But when we pay attention and get serious, God tells us, rest in me. You see, we just need to pay attention and be serious and walk through life with the Lord. Now, what we've always said, Paul made it real clear, we can't do this on our own. We cannot do this in our own strength. We will wear ourselves out and we will fail. In fact, you understand, you know, if we don't pay attention and get serious, we cannot succeed. Can't. And if we don't pay attention 
and get serious and depend on God, we can't succeed. Ah, the good news, though, if we will pay attention, get serious, depend on God, we cannot fail. We cannot fail because God will go to work. And so you need to depend on God to work in you and through you. And we saw the promises here. He is faithful. He is going to work. Now let me tell you this. Here's what you have a choice to make. God is going to work, but you get to choose what he has to work on. Here's what I mean by that. If you aren't paying attention and and, and being serious about your life as a Christian, you're just bumping along through life, just you know, going with whatever happens, and, and you aren't thinking about living for the Lord, God will go to work on you. He will go to work on trying to get you to pay attention and get serious. That's what he'll be working on. And so let's say you say, oh, I am going to pay attention and get serious. You start doing it, but you, you haven't learned to depend on God. You aren't prayerful, you, and you're just doing your own strength. God will be working on you to get you to learn to depend on him. By the way, those aren't the most fun lessons to learn. Very valuable lessons to learn, but not fun. Or you can say, I'm going to pay attention, be serious, and the best I know how, I'm going to depend on God to work. And then God will be working not only in you, but through you, out into the world around you. And when you get there and begin living that way, God will accomplish great and awesome things, both in you and through you, out into the world, things that will matter forever things that will matter forever. But none of this happens, becomes a reality to you unless you today say yes to the Lord. Yes, Lord, this is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I'm supposed to do. Today I say yes to you to do it. And if you will, he is faithful and he will do it. And what would happen If I did that again, and you did that, some of you again, some of you for the first time, what if this was a church all did this? Would it change what happens here? Man, it would change what happens here. It would change what happens out there because we will be reaching people for him. And so let me tell you, this is kind of the mindset that I have on this, is when I was in high school, I played football, and I was the little guy. I don't look like the little guy now. I was the little guy. And they would put me in the middle, like middle linebacker. 150 pounds, probably 5'7 at the time. And the big guys. And here comes the ball. I know what's happening. Here comes the ball. The, the fullback's 205, the line front, and it's my job to stop them. And it, all I could do is say, I am going for it. I, and I would just go in, put my head down, crash, thrash, kick. Not really, don't kick. <laughs> Pull, fight, you know, and then wonder what's up. And then find out we stopped them. So what I'm trying to say is in our lives, we don't have all the answers, but we need to pay attention, get serious, depend on God, go for it. And when the dust settles, we will see that God has done amazing things in us and through us. You ready? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you you call us to this, Lord, something that's way bigger than we're able to pull off. 
But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see where we need to do a better job of paying attention, where we need to do a better job of being serious about how we're living, and that we need to consciously be thinking we need to depend on you for this. And I pray you'd change us in these ways, Father, in a way that would bring great honor and glory to you, and we know that we will be blessed when that happens. I pray this in Jesus' name.